Well, please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And as we continue our series on worship, we come now to what our confession of faith refers to as the occasional parts of worship. These are those things that have a part in the corporate worship of God, but are not regular parts of worship. These are those parts of worship that are to be done as occasion warrants. The confession lists four religious oaths, vows, solemn fastings, and thanksgivings. And so this morning we will take up the first two of these together. So hear now the word of our Lord from Deuteronomy chapter 10. And we'll be reading verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve. And to Him shalt thou cleave and swear by His name. Thus far the reading of God's Word, let us now ask a blessing upon it. O Lord, we are so thankful for this Word that Thou hast given us. This Word which opens the eyes of the blind. This Word which makes the simple-minded wise. This Word which is to be treasured far more than any gold of the earth, even the finest gold. O Lord, let us feast on Thy Word, for Thy Word is sweeter than honey, even the honey of the comb. And so, Lord, as the Word has gone forth, we ask that it would never return void, We ask that Thou wouldst use it to convict our hearts, to show us our duties as those who are in Christ Jesus. O Lord, we ask Thy blessing to be upon the preaching of the Word here today. Bless Thy servant as he proclaims this Word to us. O Lord, let the preaching go forth not in the uh, enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power. And let us receive it for what it is, the very Word of God. O Lord, bless our time today. And bless this Word to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When you think of worship, I would venture to guess that the taking of religious oaths and vows is not what comes to mind. But we confess that these are acts 
that these acts are what's known as occasional parts of worship. And you may be sitting there thinking that you don't even know what oaths and vows are. We, we also use the term covenanting fairly often. So how are these things related? And why are they parts of worship? What's the difference between an oath and a vow and a covenant? The Westminster Confession of Faith is helpful for us to understand that the, what these are and how they are different. We confess... A lawful oath is a part of religious worship wherein upon just occasion the person swearing solemnly calleth God to witness what he asserteth or promiseth and to judge him according to the truth or falsehood of what he is swearing. Now this isn't seen much today as much today as it was in the past, but it's still done on occasion. And primarily, it's done in matters of church discipline in the church courts. It's a calling upon God as a witness that your testimony is the truth. And a vow is a bit different. It's similar, but it's different. The confession goes on to say, a vow is of, of the like nature with a promissory oath and ought to be made with the like religious care and to be performed with the like faithfulness. Essentially, a vow is an oath that is made not to another man, but to God. Robert Shaw is helpful in showing the distinction between the two. In an oath, a man is generally the party and God is invoked as a witness. In a vow, God is both the party and the witness. And then a covenant contains oaths and vows, but the distinction is that there is an engagement in the two parties. Namely, the person covenanting and Jehovah. And so these are solemn acts which must be understood and must be taken very seriously because they are part of the worship of the Lord. And so we'll take up this theme of religious oaths and vows by considering three heads. First, the warrant for oaths and vows. Next, the weight of oaths and vows. And finally, the binding nature of oaths and vows. So let's begin first by seeing the warrant for oaths and vows. If oaths and vows are to be part of the worship of God, then they must have divine warrant. Remember our principle which we operate from. Whatever is not commanded by God to be done in worship is forbidden. So do we see this divine warrant for oaths and vows in Scripture? Yes, we do. 
Deuteronomy 6.13 gives us the command, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him, and shalt swear by His name. That's a command. Not only does it give us the command, but it also gives us the form in which an oath or a vow is to be taken. By the name of God. Shaw, in his commentary on the confession, writes, Swearing by the name of God implies a belief and acknowledgement of His omniscience, omnipotence, and justice. Essentially, it is a recognition that Jehovah is God and we are His subjects. Then in the Psalms, we see that oaths and vows are connected to the worship of the Lord. Psalm 22, verse 25, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear Him. Here we see that the vow is connected to the praise in the midst of the congregation. And the same language is seen in Psalm 116 and verse 18, which would have been one of those psalms which the Lord Jesus Christ sang following the Last Supper. In Psalm 56 verse 12, we once again see vows connected with praise. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto Thee. The same is seen in Psalm 65 verse 1. There are many other examples that can be used to show that that the oaths and vows are connected to the worship of God, but perhaps the most explicit one that ties oaths and vows to an act of worship is Psalm 66 verse 13. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. Here we see it is connected to the burnt offering. Something which can only be understood as part of corporate worship. But does this mean that oaths and vows are part of the ceremonial system? There are other parts of worship which were included under the Old Covenant but are now no longer binding upon believers. Would oaths and vows fall under this category? Well, perhaps an argument could be made for that uh, if it were not for the fact that oaths and vows predate the giving of the ceremonial law. We see this in Abraham requiring of his servant an oath concerning finding a wife for Isaac. We read, uh, re- we read this in Genesis 24 verses 1 to 4. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, 
and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not make, uh, shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go into my country, into my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. He requires him to swear an oath. And then in Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob vowing a vow unto God following his vision from, of the ladder from heaven. In verses 20, and 20, 20 to 22, we read, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. So we see from these passages that both oaths and vows predate the giving of the ceremonial law. And they ought to be understood then as moral. This is why Shaw states the taking of an oath being no part of the judicial or of the ceremonial law, it must be equally warrantable under the present dispensation unless expressly prohibited in the New Testament. What he's saying is, it's not ceremonial, it's not judicial, it must be moral, and therefore it must continue on in New Testament times unless the New Testament expressly forbids it. But doesn't Christ in the Sermon on the Mount expressly prohibit swearing? There are many who have thought this throughout church history, including many of the early church fathers and then the Anabaptists during the Reformation. But is this what Jesus is doing? We read in Matthew chapter 5, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, Nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. What Christ is doing here is not forbidding swearing, but He's forbidding the added rules and regulations of the Pharisees. To give you an example, the Midrash, which is the collection of Jewish teachings, said that if you swear by Jerusalem, then you're not bound to keep that oath. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, 
then you are bound to keep it. This is the nonsense that Christ is teaching against. And so we're to understand this passage as forbidding profane swearing and the use of an oath to deceive or to escape one's duty. In fact, we see Christ answering the high priest Caiaphas by an oath imposed upon him by a lawful authority in Matthew 26, verses 62 to 64. If Christ had forbade all swearing, then he would have been in violation of this himself, something which is unthinkable. And then we also have apostolic evidence of oaths and vows in the New Testament. And these provide us with warrant today. In 2 Corinthians 1.23, Paul takes upon himself the formula of an oath. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not yet unto Corinth. He calls God as a witness, as a record unto his soul. And then also in Acts 18.18, he refers to a vow that he made. So because Scripture clearly shows that oaths and vows are part of worship under the Old Covenant, and we see in Genesis that oaths and vows predate the giving of the ceremonial system, proving that they were not part of the ceremonial system, then we must look to the New Testament to see whether or not they are to continue today. And the New Testament upholds the the use of oaths and vows. So we do have a divine warrant for their use in worship and their continuance in the New Testament church. So with the warrant established, let us move on to consider the weight of oaths and vows. The confession of faith says that in an oath, the person solemnly calleth God to witness what he asserteth or promiseth. And that a vow is of the like nature with a promissory oath and ought to be made with the like religious care and to be performed with the like faithfulness. It is solemn and is to be done with religious care. So what is that great care that must be taken when making oaths and vows? Why is it? Well, the reason is twofold. First, it's because you are taking the name of the Lord your God upon your lips each and every time you are making an oath and a vow. You are calling upon Him as a witness of your truthfulness in it. What a weighty thing it is to take the name of the Lord your God upon your lips. 
in our culture that we live in today, it, it doesn't have the same understanding of the weight of uttering the Lord's name. They use it in jest. They use it frivolously. And any of you kids who, or, or, or even adults who, who may not know what frivolous means, to do something frivolously is to do it without any care or concern about how important it is. It's to make light of something which we ought not make light of. And what's even more disgusting, our culture will use the Lord's name as profanity. What a wicked thing this is. It's blasphemy. It's a clear violation of the third commandment found in Exodus 20 and verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And yet these blatant abuses of the Lord's name are not the only violations of this commandment. To make a frivolous oath or vow or to make what's called a minced oath is a violation of the third commandment as well. And so if you're to swear an oath or to vow a vow, then you must do so with grave solemnity and deep care lest you violate the law of God and take His name in vain. Included in this also is swearing by anything other than God. We see this we see that this is what the wicked do in Jeremiah 5 and verse 7 when the people had sworn by them that are no gods. This too is taking the, name, the Lord's name in vain. It's attributing something to vain things which ought to only be attributed to the Lord. As our main text says, Deuteronomy 10.20, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, Him shalt thou serve, and to Him shalt thou cleave and swear by His name. To swear by any other besides Jehovah must be utterly unlawful and no less than idolatry. And then the other reason why making oaths and vows is a weighty thing is because there are repercussions which may come from doing so frivolously or in not keeping that which you have sworn. We see this in Nehemiah 10.29 where it states, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His judgments and His statutes. This passage illustrates that they willingly 
entered into a curse signifying their acknowledgement that they would face God's covenant curses if they failed to honor their oath. This is also evident in the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The weight of this commandment lies in the fact that the Lord will not absolve anyone who invokes His name frivolously or insincerely. And so when you declare or, or, or utter phrases like, God is my witness, or I swear to God, or when you take vows in the presence of God, you willingly submit yourself under the Almighty's authority. His hand will either elevate you up as, so as to fulfill your oaths and vows, or it will bring crushing consequences upon you as you break them. This is why it's such a terrible thing to see members forsaking their membership vows because they are being placed under the righteous judgment of God and are in danger of His curses coming upon him, upon them. So this shows the the profound significance of honoring your word when invoking God's name. It's a matter of the utmost gravity and solemnity. The words you speak in His name should reflect the sincerity of your commitment and your unwavering dedication to upholding the promises that you make. Friends, you must be sure that you understand the weight of oaths and vows. There's no reason to appeal to God in trivial matters. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And there's also no need for frequent and unnecessary repetitions of the same oath or vow over and over. To do these things is to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You must seek to only enter into an oath or a vow when it is necessary. And when you can do so with full assurance that you will keep your word. The Lord does not take lightly those who take His name lightly. But the Lord also does not take lightly those who refuse to take an oath or vow out of convenience sake. If a lawful authority requires an oath or a vow of you, you ought to take it so long as it is not a sinful oath or vow. This would include taking membership vows within the church. If you're not a member of a church and yet you continue to try and benefit, uh, enjoy the benefits 
of being a member without any of the responsibility of a vow, then you're sinning. Don't continue in that. But instead, submit to the Lord and join yourself to His bride in, uh, by the way of making a public covenant. And do so not out of compulsion or not out of a half-hearted, uh, in a half-hearted, frivolous manner, but do so understanding the true weight of oaths and vows and what they mean. So we've seen the warrant for oaths and vows from Scripture, and we've seen the weight of oaths and vows as something not to be taken lightly. Now let us consider the binding nature of oaths and vows. If you swear an oath or vow a vow, then you are obligated to keep it. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 4 and 5 says that it is the fool who does not keep his vow. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Deuteronomy goes a bit further saying, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt not, uh, if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall not be sin; it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform, even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. You must not forego paying that which you have vowed. You must not even be slack or delayed in doing so. Remember the weight of what you have done in taking an oath or a vow and why it is a weighty matter. You have taken the name of the Lord your God upon your lips and you have placed yourself under His judgment if you do not perform what you have vowed. you have no intention of keeping a vow, then don't make one. It's better for you to simply not have made an oath or a vow than for you to not keep it. You have a duty per the ninth commandment to keep your word. To not do so is to take the name of the Lord your God in vain and it is also to bear false witness. And your oath or vow is in effect until the terms of it have been fully met. There are such things as temporary oaths and vows. That's when you make an oath or a vow with a specific time frame laid out. After that time frame's been fulfilled, then you're no longer bound to continue in it. 
Imagine that you want to uh, exercise the spiritual discipline more over the coming year, and so you make a vow that you will fast every Saturday over the coming year. And you do this in order to grow in your spiritual walk. The binding nature of that vow is only for the next year. And then after that, you're no longer bound to it. But you better be aware that you are bound to uphold your vow for that next year. You can't just say that you'll skip this week because there's some activity going on. Maybe we're having a cookout at the church and you really want to eat that great smoked barbecue that the pastor makes. But you vowed this vow that you would fast every Saturday. You can't just break your vow for one week and then pick it up the next. You're bound to keep it for as long as the terms dictate. But then there are those oaths and vows which are perpetually binding. These must be upheld from the point that they are made onward. They do not end. Think of your membership vows that you've taken if you're a member here. So long as you are a member here, you are covenantally obligated to keep your membership vows. Every part of those membership vows are binding upon you. You have an obligation to attend the worship services because you vowed to do so. You have an obligation to support the the work of the church because you have vowed to do so. You have an obligation to submit to the authority and discipline of the church because you vowed to do so. You can't just decide you don't want to submit to the church just because you don't like what it's doing. You're bound to submit. And that includes if you get placed under discipline. You're bound to submit to the authority and discipline of the church. Unfortunately, lately there's been a few pastors who apparently didn't understand this and decided that they could just break their ordination and membership vows because they didn't like what was happening in the church. Friends, the Word of God says in Numbers 30, verse 2, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. 
To make an oath or a vow is to bind your soul to that which you have sworn or vowed, no matter what. Even if it is to your hurt, as Psalm 15.4 says, you must still uphold your oaths and vows. The only time in which it is not only acceptable but necessary to break your oath or vow is if the oath or vow is sinful. You cannot be placed under the obligation to uphold an oath or a vow that causes you to sin. Think of an atheist who says, I swear I will never become a Christian. Is he obligated to keep that vow? Well, of course not. He's obligated to repent of his sins and to trust in Christ Jesus as Lord. Or here's one that may cut a little closer to home. What if you made an oath in your teenage years or you made a vow as an adult that you would abstain from all forms of alcohol? This type of vow was required of all members in the RPCNA for decades and it continued on for all officers for even longer. It wasn't until the 1990s that Synod removed that vow. Are all those people obligated to keep that vow? Well, of course not. Why? Because it was an unlawful vow. It forbid the drinking of something that the Lord made for our enjoyment in which He instituted to be partaken of in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That vow was sinful. And thank God that the RPCNA repented of it. But what of Jephthah's vow? In Judges 11 and 12, where he vowed to offer the first thing that came through his door. And the first thing that came through his door was his daughter. What about that vow? Well, there's disagreement on whether he actually sacrificed his daughter or not. That's not the point. The point is that he made a rash, sinful vow. And if he did keep it, if he did sacrifice his daughter, then he multiplied his sins. To keep a sinful vow is sin itself. Wilhelmus of Brockle comments, it then serves as a beacon for us not to make evil, reckless, and unrestricted vows. Furthermore, even if we have made them, we are not to perform them. It is not a sin to renege on an evil and reckless vow. Rather, it is a virtue if we do not perform it due to the fear of and in obedience to God. The sin is in the vow itself. You are not held to sinful vows. And to perform sinful vows is to commit sin. 
Brothers and sisters, I know that the act of taking oaths and vows is not something that is very common for us. But when you think about it, it is more common than you realize. Just less than two months ago, we did this very thing in our worship service as we welcomed eight new members into church membership. And this is worship. When this happens, don't just space out and think that it's a time for you to relax and have a break. It is worship. And you ought to be uh, engaging in it as well. Even if you're not taking the vows, you are to be engaged in the act of worship that is taking place. And you do so by remembering the covenant that you made with Jehovah and the obligations of that covenant. Take the opportunity to renew your own vows personally. Reminding yourself of that commitment that you have made. Do not view oaths and vows as simply a formality. It is worship. And you must treat it as such. So make your oaths and vows. Swear by the Lord's name. And commit yourself to staying true to those things that you've promised. Let's pray. O Lord, we come unto Thee once again. And we do ask that Thou wouldst strengthen us and uphold us to be able to fulfill our oaths and our vows that we have made. Lord, if we have made sinful oaths or vows, show us that so that we can repent of those sinful things. Lord, if we neglect to observe this duty to engage in this act of worship when it is taking place before us, convict us of that sin and show us the need for taking part in this. And Lord, if there are any of those among us here today who have yet to take vows, to covenant themselves with Christ and His bride. Lord, we ask that they would take those steps towards truly joining with the bride, submitting to the church. Oh Lord, let us look to our elder brother, Christ Jesus who paid His vows, paid them in full. And whenever we fail to truly uphold our vows, let us rest in Christ, for there is forgiveness found in Him. O Lord, let these truths sink into our hearts.
so that we may glorify thy name in a far greater way through our acts of praise. O Lord, bless the remainder of our worship together. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.